The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin, and we are now a matter of days away from UFC Charlotte, where my regular co-host Matt Brown will step back into that octagon to do battle with Court McGee. Of course, we send our best wishes out to Matt. I spoke to him a night or two ago. He's feeling good, feeling ready to slice up somebody with some elbows. Uh, so look forward to Matt making his return to action on Saturday and his triumphant return to the uh, to the podcast next week. Hopefully everything goes well. Uh, but obviously with this fight now, you know, five days away, I feel like we had to give him a week off. So uh, pinch hitting and, and certainly, you know, uh, taking, uh, taking a place in, in, in well-regarded guys as far as breaking down the sport. Uh, we're going to talk a little later in the show to one of the top bantamweights in the sport who had a vested interest in the UFC 288 main event between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. And I'm going to talk to Corey Sandhagen, who was there cage side uh, on Saturday night to watch that fight between between Aljamain and Henry and uh, his thoughts. And of course, you know, where he goes from here. I know he talked about fighting Murad Dewalishvili. Now we see Henry Cejudo maybe calling him out. So uh, let's talk. We'll talk to Corey Sanhagen a little later in the show. But right now, one of the top analysts in the sport, uh, he's been uh, calling fights for LFA for a while, but he also works on the analyst desk for the UFC and ESPN quite often. His name is Alan Joban. He's always a, a great co-host to have on the show. He's come in and, and pinch hit and uh, co-hosted the show with me in the past. And uh, with everything going Going down this past Saturday night, including Bilal Muhammad's big win over Gilbert Burns, I couldn't think of anybody better to talk about UFC 288 here on the Fighter versus the Rider. In the wake of UFC 288, uh, a huge event over the weekend. Of course, Aljamain Sterling defended his title against Henry Cejudo, and Bilal Muhammad also picked up a huge win over Gilbert Burns. I couldn't think of a better person to join me on the podcast today to help me break down everything as one of the top analysts in the sport. It is always my pleasure to welcome the great Alan Joban. Alan, how are you, my friend? I'm good, brother. I'm glad you called me for this one. I mean, I was... I was as eager to watch these fight over the weekend as, as anyone. I mean, I did the breakdown show in the main event, so I was really curious to see how my breakdown information kind of played out in the real-life fight. And then anytime the welterweight to come in event, Bilal, a former opponent of mine who now has become a friend that I'm very much you know rooting for, taking that on short notice, I was I was eager to see how that matchup played out as well. Yeah, well, it was a great event over the weekend. A lot of great things. Of course, at the top of the card, we mentioned, of course, Aljamain Sterling defended his title against Henry Cejudo. And, Alan, I got to be honest, 
if you asked me about this fight three months ago, I said, man, I just, Henry Cejudo is so good. And even though he's been gone so long, his wrestling, his striking, I remember what he looked like before he left. He's still, he's 36, but he's a, a young 36 because he had time off. I think if he put, you know, would have been putting wear and tear on his body over the last three years, we may have a different opinion. But I was like, you know what? I, I just think, you know, matchup wise, this is Cejudo. And then as we got closer and closer to the fight, I started listening to a couple other people. I talked to Marlon Marias, who fought both of them, and I talked to a couple other people, and I started watching fights, and I was like, you know what? I was like, Aljamain's length, his his size, his wrestling, and his striking are, are, are always a little underrated. And I was like, you know what? And, and by the end of the week, last week, I pretty much totally switched my opinion. I was like, I'm going with Aljamain. I think he's going to get it done. Uh, incredible oh, fight. Yeah. Incredible fight. Uh, you, you mentioned you did the breakdown. How did it play out in reality versus how you thought it was going to go? Very different. And I, I say I don't want to say very different, but they have different skill sets. And and when you look at the breakdown, sometimes the X's and O's don't always tell the story. But doing the breakdown, um, and you watch Henry Cejudo, it's so obvious what he's doing. So it makes it fun for an analyst like me. You see him making reads, you see him throwing feints, watching somebody bite on it, and then capitalizing on it immediately. Uh, the the Dominic Cruz knockout, until I broke that one down, I didn't realize how well he had studied Dominic Cruz and how much he forced that knockout with the knee, the, the, that he kind of, you know, uh, baited Dominic into doing his normal role pattern. And some of the other um, knockouts, his clinches, his, his right hand. So what I'm getting at is, He's very good, and, and it, it's very obvious when you're breaking it down what's going on. And so it, it builds him up in your mind. And then when you look at the other side, when you look at Algerman Sterling, his moves and everything aren't as obvious, right? You know, he's not he's not an Olympic wrestler, but he's got tremendous wrestling. He, he's, he looks for takedowns, and he gets takedowns, but he's not really looking for the takedown so much to get on top as much as he's looking for a scramble opportunity to take the back. And we saw some of that play out in the fight. I, I was... I don't want to say worried because I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but I had somewhat picked Cejudo because of what I'm saying. His skill and his his IQ jumped off the paper, jumped off of the footage so much that I had to lean towards him. But I said, the thing that I think Aljo will have success in will be these opportunities where he gets, he gets Cejudo into a scramble and then finds just a, a, a little smidgen of the back and is able to take the back. And we saw that. We saw that in the fight where in the open floor, Suhudo was the dominant wrestler. Against the fence, Aljo was much stronger of a cage wrestler, a fence, a wall wrestler than Suhudo was. And he would find those opportunities to shuck him off, take the back, and then, as you said, use that reach, that seven-inch reach advantage, and then just the lighter on the feet. So um, I was wrong. I thought Suhudo would win because of what I what I was just saying. But Aljo, you said the great word just now. He's underrated. He's underrated in everything that he does, and he's proven it for these last four victories. Absolutely, and it's kind of crazy. Like, And again, I don't. for me personally, I don't think it was necessarily that I underrated Sterling going into it as much as I just I had a lot of belief in Henry Cejudo. Yeah, I think he is an incredible athlete. I thought his wrestling would negate a lot of what Aljo does well. And when you watch the exchanges – in the open, when they were in the open, Henry did shut down Aljamain. Aljamain couldn't just shoot a double leg and get him down. All of his takedowns came off cage wrestling. And, you know, almost like that Khabib Nurmagomedov style where he pressed him against the cage, work him, and then take him down. You know, Khabib was never a double leg guy. He would kind of take you up there and then maul you on the ground. Um, I thought that was super impressive in that regard. Um, but I was just impressed by how much 
Sterling did use that power to his advantage, especially against the cage, because I want like Henry had his moments there too. He was able to reverse and throw a couple things, but you kind of saw, in my opinion, you saw the size and a little bit of the strength difference in the cage there. You saw where Aljamain kind of imposed his will a little bit more on Henry in those moments. And, and credit to Henry for surviving some of those scrambles because the last guy in the world you want on your back is Aljamain Sterling. But that's pretty much what he did. He the survived back, yeah. the scrambles. You know, He survived <laughs> the scrambles. He didn't, he didn't reverse him to the point where he was able to turn into an offensive maneuver. But I, again, I thought there was a lot of close exchanges. I, I, just to get this out of the way, I scored it 4-1 for Aljamain. I could easily see it 3-2 Aljamain. There was one round, I can't remember which one, where I was like, eh, I'll go Aljamain, but I could easily see it going Sudo. So I'm okay with 3-2, but I definitely, I, I did score for Aljamain winning. Did you do the same? Did you see Aljamain winning when it was all over? I was very curious to hear your score. Um, <laughs> I had Aljamain winning as well. I had him 3-2, to two, and I think that to me, the close rounds were round two and round three. Um I had given Cejudo round two and had given Cejudo round five. The rest to me was Aljo. When I looked at the scorecards from the judges, I think all three of the judges or two of the, two out of three of the judges possibly gave three, uh, round three rather, to um, Cejudo. And so that round, I didn't remember him doing as much. It was round two that I thought he kind of had the momentum shift, which to me is always you have to be careful because when one man's dominant, in one round, which I thought Aljo was dominant in the first round. And in the second round, he's less dominant. A lot of people go, oh, this was a better round for the other guy. But it was just less dominance. But, it, you know, momentum shift, but it necess didn't necessarily win the round. But nonetheless, I, I think the judges got this one right, thank God. Um, you know what I'm curious to see to follow up? I'm curious on your opinion. I had people that were there that were texting me after the fight, that were at the arena. And they were saying... Suhudo won this fight. I'm shocked. What was your thoughts? And I kept seeing that. And I was a bit surprised that people live there were saying that. And then I started seeing that on social media. Majority of the people that thought Suhudo won were in the arena. It seemed that more majority of the people that thought Aljo won watched it on TV. And what I take from that is that it was a very pro Suhudo crowd. Oddly enough, you know, uh, being that they were on the East Coast, which is somewhat Aljo's territory. But it was a Cejudo-friendly crowd. You could see it. They were anytime Cejudo would do something, they were cheering, and I think that's what swayed a lot of the people, the live visitors, um, that they would hear the roar of the crowd and feel like it was a bigger move or a bigger shot than it really was in perspective watching it on TV. I 100% can see that. I've had personal experiences where I've sat cage side, and you know where media sits cage side. We're in the same vantage point as the judges. You know, we are right there next yep. to the cage. I've had fights where I thought, man, I thought a guy won, and then I look online, and I was wrong. Like, everyone's saying, no, no, this guy won. It's For one, it's vantage point. I think that that's a problem when you're in there. You can't see everything. And also, I always remember going back several years, I think it was in Louisville, Kentucky, when Diego Sanchez fought Martin Campman. And Diego won a very controversial decision. It was a, I thought it was a horrible decision. But being in the mm -hmm. arena, the crowd wasn't reacting as, as loud. The crowd was reacting loudly, but you noticed that a lot of what Diego was doing in that fight was moving forward and throwing. He just wasn't landing. But people were freaking out and screaming, losing their minds. But in my vantage point, I could see like 80% of his punches weren't landing. They were just missing. Yep. And then Martin was, was, was counter striking him. And I was like, man, this is a terrible decision. I think being in the arena is a detriment sometimes to scoring because of that. Because a punch gets thrown, the crowd goes ooh and ah, and you think it lands. And when you're in, when you're moving at that speed, 
you know, the best fighters in the world, especially bantamweights, which move quickly anyways, you're, you're talking about a, a split second where you see did it land, did it not land? And, and they were both very active. Henry was very active on his feet, and so was Aljamain. On TV, I think you got a better vantage point of seeing where Aljamain was landing and what he was doing, especially in the exchanges on the feet. Not so much. It's a little easier to tell in the wrestling, of course, who gets the takedown, who doesn't, who's on top, who's doing damage, who's going for submissions. But in striking, it's just quick exchanges and a lot of movement. And Henry, in my opinion, was throwing a lot more power strikes. He was throwing the big looping punches, the big overhands, and then kind of diving forward. And maybe someone caught the hand or maybe they caught you know, the shoulder, things like that, or they just didn't land. But you hear that crowd, they go nuts, they rip roar, and you think, he must he have scored. landed. He must have yeah, landed. Yeah, must have landed something. And, and I think, again, like that's this is getting off topic here, but like this is what I've said for years. I know New, it's funny. They were in New Jersey. I remember talking to one of the guys from New Jersey. I think it was Nick Limbo, uh, who's their, their chief counsel out there. I think at one point they had talked about doing an experiment in Jersey where they were going to put the judges cage side and take three more judges, put them in the back in like basically sound oh. isolation booths where they'd watch the fights, but they wouldn't hear the crowd. They wouldn't hear the commentary. They would just watch the fight. And I was like, man, that might be a better way to judge a fight because there's so much you can see from TV that you can't see when you're just watching in the cage. And that crowd reaction is a big part of that because again, they just, they, they freak out and I get it. You're reacting in the crowd. That's what you're supposed to do being in a crowd. But just cause you react doesn't mean it actually landed. A hundred percent. And it's just human nature. If you're exactly what you're talking about, if two guys are throwing punches and there's an exchange, you couldn't quite see who landed cleanly. Um, but you hear 16,000 people go uproaring for one guy. It, it's just human nature to think, okay, this guy must have saw something. 16,000 people, majority of those guys probably didn't get it wrong. And so it sways the judges sometimes, then it sways the crowd as well with being there live. Um, I thought I, to, 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 to your point, I thought I heard something that, um, in this fight, and honestly, I'm not even sure if they always do this, but that the judges were going to be wearing no noise-canceling headphones. So maybe it was what you were speaking to, or maybe they did that for the judges' cage side, that they were wearing I have seen them talk about that. I have seen them do that before. I don't know how well it works. I mean, I have I have noise-canceling headphones that are like, and I have the Apple AirPod Maxes, the big ones, the super expensive ones. Right, right. It's still not 100% noise-canceling. You still hear things out. Like, you know, it's, it, you're, it's never going to be 100% when you're sitting that close to the crowd. I mean, there's just no way to what avoid I'm getting that. At, I, I thought they might have done that, this fight. And if they did, I think it worked because they think it canceled out that crowd noise to the extent that they were able to see in clarity what they were judging. And again, I thought they made the right call. I thought that it was a close four to one, three to two. Nonetheless, I thought Aljo took it. I thought he did enough. And then, you know, I saw um, I saw the reaction of Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz went with Brennan Schaub to watch it on, I think, the Fight Companion or something like that. And they were asking Dom his thoughts. And he was kind of like us. You know, nobody was definitive, definitively saying this guy definitely won. But when you look at damage and you look at the two guys' faces and you saw them, their hands about to get raised and you see Aljamain Sterling doing this, not a mark on him, not a mark on his face, and you see Suhudo with the big uh, uh, busted up eye and everything, it's like, look, it already seemed like momentum, like Aljo had more, uh, just more dominant moments. Uh, you know, he taking the back, he had a couple takedowns on on Henry, landed cleaner shots, but you see the damage, the wear and tear on the other fighter. It doesn't always tell the story because one punch can close an eye and then four other rounds could be the different story. But I thought it spoke clearly for the story of this fight. Aljo did more damage and he just kind of controlled the fight for the longer extended of time. 
Yeah, and I also think when you look at the grappling exchanges against the cage, those were more control time. Again, control is lower on the scoring criteria, but in terms of like the takedowns and using it offensively, um, I thought Aljamain had far better moments. Obviously, he went for a couple of the, you know, tried to take the back a couple of times. And again, credit to Free Henry for escaping, but we're, I think a lot of people always remember you don't score defense in fights, ever. That's not on the criteria. It's only offense. You do not get credit for defending a submission, defending a takedown. Surviving. Yeah, you do not get any of that. That's part, Just to be clear on the scoring criteria, I think that kind of confused people. Like, oh, he stuffed like nine takedowns. Great. Doesn't mean anything in the scoring. Like, it's great he stopped the takedown, but it's offensive-based scoring is all the, all the scoring criteria is about. Um, I just thought Aljamain did more, and again, I, again, I could easily see two rounds. Round five, and I think I was with you. Round two, I think, was what I scored for Henry Cejudo. It was really close. Uh, but I ultimately went 4-1 for Aljamain. Fifth round, to me, was the clearest for Henry. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there was any controversy there. I mean, listen, I think people, and I haven't really seen a whole lot of people being up in arms saying, oh, my God, this is a robbery. Um, I think no. we've got to stop using that word when it's just a close fight. Like, it was just a close fight. Like, it was a good close fight. I, again, I thought Aljamain won. I, I would probably lean closer to, quote-unquote, robbery if Aljamain had lost. But, again, I, it was a close fight. It was 3-2, uh, and there were a couple close rounds in there. Again, I don't think there's a robbery. And, again, I don't think a lot of people are screaming robbery, but um, I personally thought it was was a fairly a fairly clear-cut decision for Aljamain Sterling. If if I had to go back, or if, if Cejudo had to go back, and I know he watches a lot of his fights, he breaks down stuff, he studies the opponents, he's got a super high fight IQ. If he goes back and watches his fight with coaches and, and says, what could I have done differently? It, well, first of all, credit to Aljo. Aljo fought, fought a, a tremendous, smart fight, a very good fight, very hard to beat a guy like that. But what I didn't see enough to me out of Henry Cejudo was his aggression in the boxing. Um, I, when I broke down the fights again, he's got a piston right hand, and he's very, very good at covering distance, fainting in and out, setting shots up, double jab, finishing with that right hand, all those things, mix it in. I felt like Suhudo's game plan for the first three rounds was kick heavy, kick heavy, kick heavy, stuff, takedowns, get on top. He even let him up a couple times. You remember Suhudo took down Aljo and he said, get back up. I don't know if I like that. I think I know Aljo's dangerous on the bottom and it does somewhat create scrambleability moments, scrambleability moments for Aljo to take the back. But I feel like Suhudo's base is good enough um, to stay on top. And if Suhudo could have stayed on top, and I think it was round three, instead of letting him up, and done a little bit, it just, just looked busy. He could have edged out around there. But the reason that I think that we both are saying five round, uh, the fifth round was the most clear cut round for Cejudo is because he knew he had to go forward on that on that round. He knew he had to do something dramatic, either stop the fight or if it was close, at least win that round. And so what did he do? He went forward and threw punches, aggressive nature, coming forward putting two and three punches together. Not all of them landed, but they look good. And that aggressiveness won him that round. If he would have been a little more aggressive and, and, and let that let his hands go a little bit more in those early rounds, I think that's what I li would have liked to see out of him. And maybe he could have won that fight. But you know what it was? I, I really, truly feel that a bit of his pride was there and he didn't want to commit to the punches and allow... Aljo to slip under and get a takedown. He would have been, he would have felt like, you know, and a takedown in the open for Suhudo is death. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to show that he can be taken down. So he's, he played it a little bit safe, played the long range kicking game, but it allowed Aljo to play his game because you're playing long range game with a long range guy. 
and he was losing that battle. Yeah, and I also think that when it came to the wrestling, like Henry, when he stopped his takedowns, especially in the open, the kind of naked takedown where he wasn't really setting them up, Aljamain was just shooting for a double leg, he stuffed them, and they kept saying on the broadcast about the neck. I know we've talked about the neck injury. You had the exact same neck surgery yep. that Aljamain went through, so you know what that's like. They kept bringing that up. But when, Alder, when when Henry would have him in that front headlock, he was not throwing damage. He was just kind of holding him there and then getting out because he didn't want to allow Aljamain to somehow scramble and get the takedown. And I agree with you. I think Henry is Henry is so underrated because he's an Olympic gold medalist. We all know that. We all say that. But he has never been a guy who has trem- who's t- taken a ton of time using his wrestling in his fights. The Sergio Pettis fight's kind of an anomaly where he just went in there and really out-wrestled him for three rounds. But typically, that's not his primary weapon in a fight. He doesn't typically go out there and try to take, guy- take guys down and grind them. I think that could have gone a long way in, in, in kind of flipping a couple of those close rounds if he had actually used... Aljamain's takedown attempts against him to scramble, maybe punish him a little bit, kind of maybe circle around the back, throw a few punches, even if they escape from there, do it that he was kind of, he was kind of front headlocking him and then backing out. He wasn't, he could have, you know, circled around, throw a few, you know, flurry of punches. It's just those little moments that make an impression in your mind of like damage. Um, Cause I think about Aljamain's second fight with Piotr Jan, when he got those couple of takedowns, even though he wasn't able to put him away, he was doing so much damage from the back, throwing big, heavy punches. That just looks, you know, even if you're not doing a ton of damage, that looks bad. And we know those punches are, are coming close to landing. I know it I know it kind of goes against what I was saying earlier about punches landing versus not landing. But when you're in a dominant position and you're wailing on a guy, it's hard not to see that as damage. And I think if I was going to point out one error in Henry's game, I would say that because he had Aljamain in a compromised position several times and he didn't really do a lot with it. He just kind of stuffed the takedown held him down, held the neck, and then circled out again. Uh, maybe it's because he thought he could do a lot more damage on the feet. And again, as you said, he didn't want to you know, get caught in a scramble and then Aljamain gets his back and gets tapped out. I totally understand that. But Henry has good control. I thought he had good control in those moments. And he could have, again, I'm not saying he had to stay there, but throw a few punches, get out. You know, he didn't really do that. He just like stuffed it and got out of there again. Again, we're talking about a close fight. Those couple little things could have made a difference. Uh, so I, I'm in agreement. I mean, we both just kind of echo the same thoughts. What it tells me is that as good of a uh, of a grappler is a control position guy that Henry is, he felt something in there. He was with Aljo, and he felt like Aljo was slipping out, and he kept having to readjust the grip, readjust the grip, burn out his arms, keep that front head locked, that head and arm, choke, trying to trying to shuck him down, shuck him down, and he just felt like this is too dangerous. If I let go of one arm, if I let go of my grip. And I try to inflict some damage. He felt Aljo's Aljo's going to either a slip out. He's going to sweep him. He's going to uh, uh, reverse the position. He's going to find a way out. Henry didn't feel comfortable in those positions, and and that's what goes. That's what goes. Uh, some I don't want to say underrated, but for Aljamain Sterling, when you see scrambles, it's not always a. Uh, it's hard to highlight that. Like he's offensively so good. It, it was like Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson would find moments in scrambles and he would finish fights. He would slap on a choke. Aljo has these same type of scramble ability where he could make you feel uncomfortable even if you're on top because he can get out at any point. His more, his route to victory though is find a scramble than find the backpack out, obviously. But to your point, Henry could have done more and that probably would have swung the round in his favor, but he didn't feel good. He didn't feel safe against somebody as good on the ground um, at finding a way out as Aljamain Sterling is. And, and it just speaks to how good Aljo is that 
it gets it goes over a lot of fans' head. Like, why 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 isn't he doing more? Aljo doesn't really do that much. He doesn't throw sh- knockout power shots, and he's not really a, 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 a the highest level wrestler. But his 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 in between game is so good. It's so good that it, it makes people not want to commit to things like that. The ground and pound that Suhudo probably could have shown a little bit more of. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest narratives going into this, Alan, was. You know, coming out of it was, you know, Henry Sudo coming back and winning and, and reclaiming the title. He never technically lost. He gave it up when he retired. And then potentially talking about one of those all-time great runs, he kind of mapped it out. He wanted to fight Aljo. He wanted to fight Sean O'Malley. And then he wanted to go up to 145 to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, it looks like Henry's going to stick around. Maybe you saw the tweet this morning. He's calling out Murad. We'll get back to that in a second. I feel like Aljamain Sterling has been arguably the most disrespected champion in mixed martial arts over these last couple of years. And it all it all stems from the first fight with Pierre Yan. We all know he got blasted with an illegal knee. He won the title in that way. No one wanted to win the title that way. Aljamain didn't want to win the title that way. And it's, I, it still drives me nuts that none of this was his fault. He got And I've said a million times, when guys take a groin shot and or a really bad illegal shot on the knee, you, you need to really, really, really think about, do you want to continue? Because those are two things. When it's a really bad groin shot, you better take the full five minutes because you do not just shake that off and come back. I, 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 I'm no fighter, but I'm taking shots at the groin, and you are not getting up and walking around in five minutes feeling great. Um, and then part two of that is the – the you know in terms of in terms of like an illegal knee he he took the illegal knee it wasn't his fault so again he he didn't win the title in an ideal way and he's had to live with that ever since and of course he goes out there beats peter yawn the second time i thought he won the fight didn't think there was any controversy there the only controversy i had is i think he should have got a 10-8 round in the second when he was clearly dominant and then he beats tj dillashaw tj of course afterwards my shoulders are wrecked i wasn't you know of course then again you don't get credit at this point how do you not give Aljamain Sterling credit? He just took out one of the, and I agree with Henry, one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. You know, one of only you know, three people now to hold a win over him. Um, do you, I don't know. Like, is that, do we, do we, are we finally getting, are we finally turning a corner on people giving Aljamain credit? I mean, there's always going to be haters. We understand that's just part of the sport. There's never going to be, there's people who are going to hate on him just because they don't like him and that, whatever. That's, I guess that's your right. But in terms of respect he deserves, I mean, when you look at the resume, when you look at what he's doing and the guys he's beating, how can you not give this guy's flowers? I think that this fight, beating Cejudo in a five-round fight, I think this is going to start getting people more on board. I think they're going to say, okay, this guy, this guy's earned it. Because as you mentioned, the two fights with Piotr Jan, it's just they were tough because of the way it started. The second fight, some people had it. And honestly, being live at the, the second fight against Piotr Jan, I had it very close, but I was leaning toward Piotr Jan um, in that fight. So I think people, and and then the TJ fight being injured, they never quite, as you said, gave him his flowers. Um, but beating Cejudo, you have to give the man respect. Um, and, and he was able to take Cejudo down. He was able to to, to to reverse some of these positions. He hit a switch on him, took, took his back at, at one point in the fight. The great thing is this next possible matchup, I think, is the perfect matchup for Hudo to get all the respect because not only will that put him on whatever it's going to be a five or six fight winning streak now, but I think he needs a finish and I think he needs a dominant finish. I think he needs a dominant win. And as good as O'Malley is, the stylistic matchup 
allows for that. It allows for a finish a lot more tall, lanky striker who, if he gets him on the ground, he's going to be able to put that body lock in very easily against a small, skinny waist against O'Malley. And O'Malley is not going to be able to escape that, especially if O'Malley gets taken down uh, in the first one or two minutes of a round, he's going to be stuck in a backpack position for three or four minutes, having to escape and evade and defend. And eventually it's inevitable. You're going to get choked out. So if Aljo could get the takedown early on O'Malley, I know I switch gears to the O'Malley talk real quick, but if he can get a finish, a dominant finish, a chokeout over O'Malley and say the first or second round, I think that will fully bring the fan base on board and say, this guy is one of the greatest we've ever seen in this weight division. It allows that opportunity coming up. And so I think everything moving forward is going to start looking very, very well for Aljo. You know, and I agree. And I think stylistically, and again, I, I give you all the credit in the world to Henry Cejudo is an incredible athlete and an incredible fighter. I think I think Sean O'Malley proved me wrong in a lot of ways because I picked Peter Yan to win that fight. And it was a close fight. I mean, it was a very close fight. I think on the night of the fight, I scored it for O'Malley. I went back and rewatched it. I said, man, maybe I'm leaning towards Peter Yan. It was really close. Uh, but that was kind of the fight that kind of woke me up. But I remember having a conversation before that fight with Anthony Smith. He was on the podcast and he had talked about that. And he's like, he actually liked Sean O'Malley to beat Piotr Jan because of his length, because of his distance, and because Piotr is kind of like that shorter, stockier bandsweight. And one thing that Anthony said that, rung, that rang in my head again right after that fight was over this past weekend was he said the guys that O'Malley wants to avoid are the long, tall guys who can just take away that side, that reach advantage. He's like, he does not want to see guys like Corey Sandhagen or Aljamain Sterling because they're going to match him in the length and the distance and then Corey, you know, is is arguably maybe a better overall striker, and Aljamain's got the wrestling and the and the submissions. I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting Sean O'Malley, but I think Sean O'Malley, when I say easier, I mean this in like in terms of styles. This is an easier fight for Aljamain than than Cejudo was because Cejudo did have the oh, wrestling, 100%. he did have the screen. Like I think, like I don't know what the odds are going to be, and I know odds are you know the odds are what they are. But like if you're asking me like from a betting perspective, like hey, who are you going to put money down on, or who, who would you bet on? I would bet on Aljamain Sterling. I had problems. I would I would be like I can't bet on Cejudo Aljamain because that fight's just so close. I would just be losing money because I have no idea who's going to win that fight. I can honestly say I'm very, I'm fairly confident in Aljamain. Now, I don't want to seem like Sean O'Malley has no chance. Of course, he has a great chance. He's an incredible fighter, huge, great striking, boxing, and knockout power, which is something that uh, you know can, can really come into that come into play in that fight. And super tough. I know people don't like to give him credit for his toughness, but Sean O'Malley is super tough. Um, but I just think stylistically, he's not going to struggle with the takedowns on. on Sean O'Malley the way he did with with Henderson because it's not an Olympic level wrestler and then you talk about the submission ability of Aljamain if he gets on Sean O'Malley's back one time I don't know that Sean O'Malley has the strength and the wherewithal to to just resist Aljamain Sterling for first second third round when he's got time I just again if you're asking me right now to pick that fight I think I think it is a, an Aljamain Sterling fight again weird things happen crazy things happen in fights but stylistically I think this is an easier fight for Aljamain that's why I'm like I understand why you want to stick around get the big money fight with Sean Sean O'Malley before maybe going up to 145 because why not because to me there is le again less of a threat with Sean O'Malley than, than Henry Cejudo in, in my opinion much less of a threat and Probably bigger sales than a lot of these fights, right? O'Malley's a draw. And now you have a big draw coming in here. O'Malley's gotten very good at kind of selling the fight. The UFC was on board with selling it. Dana White regrets having O'Malley go into the cage. But but they got that, right? They got that footage of them in each other's face. It's going to help promote the fight. They're both going to be jawing back and forth, back and forth. Um, 
and 100 i think this is one of the few times where we're finally going to see aljo as the champion as a heavy favorite in a matchup and it's warranted in this matchup because as as fluid and smooth of a striker that O'Malley is, he likes somewhat of a stationary target. If he finds you stationary, he will put you out. Aljo is not a stationary target. He's constantly moving lateral from a long distance away, and he's just throwing all those long kicks, faking the shots, everything. So it's going to be very tough for O'Malley to land that clean shot on Aljamain Sterling. And you look at the Peter Jan fight with O'Malley. The, to me, the difference maker in that fight was that knee. It was that knee that came up the middle, right, that cut Piotr Jan on the eyebrow, and that was the most damage of the fight. Had that knee had not, had not have landed, he maybe didn't squeak out a victory. I'm unsure. But th that damage played a lot. The blood leaking, that was, you know, it was a good shot. So what I'm getting at is Piotr Jan's a shorter guy. Aljamain Sterling's a much taller guy. I don't think that knee up the middle is going to land in a clinch. And if they get in the clinch, Aljamain's going to be looking for those takedowns much more. The clean shot from the outside, the sniper bullet that O'Malley has perfected, it's not going to be as such of a higher percentage shot because Aljo's going to be moving all over the cage and the distance is going to be much greater. In, in the fight, O'Malley's going to have to cover a much greater of a distance. So it, the, 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 the matchup, as you said, it very much favors Aljamain Sterling. And this is a guy, you mentioned he had the same neck surgery as me. And I remember speaking to him after his surgery. Uh, and he was saying, first of all, he's, he was recovering so fast. I was shocked how fast he was recovering and wanting to go again. It just, it just speaks to the type of athlete that he is and how well he still recovers for his age and just – um, just genetics. He's just, he's just built different. Um, but, 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 but moving forward with it, he, 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 he the, the neck thing, it did, it didn't bother him. You mentioned with Suhudo, the next, the next something in the past, it's, it's not, it's not in his mindset anymore. This is, this is a great matchup. I, I had some point I was trying to make, I lost, I lost where I was going with it, but <laughs> all in all, this is a dream fight for, for, for Aljo. Aljo has said very openly that he probably has Sean O'Malley. He told me this before the fight, and he's kind of hinted at it afterwards. Sean O'Malley, and then probably out of the division. Of course, we all know Murad really his teammate and his friend, waiting in the wings, which, by the way, <laughs> Sean O'Malley needs to just give him the jacket. Like, that was one of the funniest things. When I saw the replay, and I didn't even notice that Murad had put on the jacket. He I know it almost, you I, I, I noticed it almost, obviously. It? Yeah, it almost caused a dust-up, obviously. It almost caused, like, a riot to, re to break out. But that was one of the funniest moments that I can remember of Marab just putting on the coat. I was like, Sean, you've lost the coat. You need to just send it to Marab. He pulled it off. You need to just gift him that coat. Um, but Marab's there. And I, you know, legitimately, like, no offense to Sean O'Malley, I think legitimately, Marab Dewalish really, to me, is the actual number one contender. But we all know they're not going to fight. I'm completely okay with that. That's fine. I, I commend them for sticking to their guns. Uh, Matt Brown said something on this podcast that I, I and I appreciate. He's like, I fought teammates, I fought training partners. I would never fight a friend. And I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate they're sticking their guns. And also, Aljamain's doing exactly what he said. Listen, we all know the Sean O'Malley fight is a big money fight. Going to draw a lot of crowd. Pay-per-view buys. You're a champion. You get those back in on pay-per-view buys. Of course you wanted that fight. And then he goes away. And listen, if Aljamain Sterling can close out his bantamweight career with a win over, you know, wins over Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo, and Sean O'Malley, you know, we may be putting him in that goat conversation of bantamweight, and I think that that yeah. bantamweight goat conversation is shorter because 
there, the, for one, the division hasn't been in the UFC as long, but also there haven't been a lot of long reigning champions. I, you know, I still, I still put Dominic Cruz number one overall because of WEC and UFC combined. But I think if if, if Algerine goes out there and beats Sean O'Malley and that's his last fight at bantamweight, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I think he might have cemented that spot number one all the time. But I, I, I appreciate that he's being honest about himself, saying, "Listen, I got maybe one more." get the big money fight, and then go up to 145 and let Marab do his thing. Um, and I think that's the way it's going to play out. I think that it also tells me that that, that Algerman Sterling sees the end is near. And although he's in the prime of his life somewhat, I think he he's ready to get out of the fight game. I, I don't want to take this as like any type of negativity towards Algerman. I just, I feel like what I was mentioning earlier is about the neck thing and it just came back to me was he was thinking about when he was recovering i was telling you he was healing very fast from the neck he was telling me man i i'm maybe i'll come back test out the neck maybe i have a fight i don't know man i i don't know how much longer i want to fight that was a couple years ago since then he's been able to cement his legacy and he's looked better than he ever has in his entire life but he was thinking about retirement a couple years ago now he's been able to make money, provide for himself and family, and, and put himself in that, you know, Hall of Fame champion, possible double champ status uh, with if he moves up in weight classes. Um, if he beats O'Malley and then goes up, I don't think he really has any expectations against Volkov, uh, Volkanovsky. Um, I think it's just that's a super fight. That's a money fight. Let me strike while, while the iron's hot. If I lose, it doesn't matter. Just like Volkanovsky going up um, – when he fought um, Islam. 55. Islam, I- yeah. Islam, thank you. Um, Mahachev. Uh, you know, Volkov, Volkanovsky went up, and obviously he wanted to win, but he knew it didn't really hurt his status or his reputation. It's a super fight. Let me take this opportunity. There's there's no loser in this. It doesn't matter. Aljo sees that opportunity. Let me go up and fight. It's a huge fight. It's a lot of money. And if he loses, so what? So what if he loses? Volkanovski is one of the best we've ever seen inside of the octagon. If he loses, that would be a way for him to then exit. Does he want to leave on a, on a, on a possible loss if he if he were to lose? I don't know. But he's giving up his title for his friend Marab to have an opportunity going up. And then after a loss, I think that would be a suitable exit for him to say, look, I've cashed in and I've cemented my legacy. Now is a suitable time that I could exit the company. Yeah. And I think uh, why not? Like, why not? You know, listen, uh, you know, you and I can have this conversation all day about guys getting out at the right time versus the wrong time. And it still breaks my heart to this day. The amount of legends who get out at the wrong time, you know, they just don't know when to say goodbye. And you can count on two hands, the amount of fighters who have retired on a win, much less like, you know, at the peak of their, <laughs> at the peak of their prowess, uh, being like a GSP or a Khabib being a champion and leaving. Uh, if, if that's Aljamain's path, if he goes Sean O'Malley and Volkanovsky, and again, as you said, maybe he loses to Volkanovsky, he'll be a heavy underdog. Of course he will. Alexander Volkanovsky is a freaking monster. He'll be an underdog in that fight. If he somehow pulls that off, oh my God, what a huge moment. But if he loses, Again, not you know, obviously Matt losses matter, but who really cares? I mean, he went up and took a shot and then walk away, make your, you know, make your eight figure payday or whatever for a big pay-per-view and then cash out and leave. And I got no problem with that. Like it's weird to say like you'd lose and it would not really mean much, but to me that's kind of like I don't hold like 
Did Volkanovsky lose to Islam? Of course. I thought he lost the fight. I didn't think it was a controversial decision. I thought he lost, but I don't think he, he definitely doesn't lose anything in his in his legacy or, or, or anything like that. Like It's kind of no. like when Israel went up and fought Jan Blachowicz. He lost, but didn't ruin his legacy. He fought a much Nobody bigger opponent. Nobody cares about that fight. Yeah. yeah. Like, and no one, and so yeah, and like you said, why not? That's like, that's like you're, you're playing with house money at that point. If you go out and beat Sean O'Malley, who cares? Like at that point, go up and make a you know make an eight figure payday to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Who really cares? Like if you lose, like if you win, man, you're now in like a short list of like all time all time greats, regardless of weight class. If you lose, you just lost to maybe the number one pound for pound fighter in the sport. Is it really that big of a of a, of a of a detriment to your to your legacy and your resume, especially knowing you went up a division when a lot of guys have struggled doing that? I mean, again, Aljamain, in my opinion, is like in the perfect position to just close out his. If, again, maybe he wants to fight for another five years. I haven't talked to him about it yet. You know, maybe he maybe he's changed his mind. But I know it seemed like. That was the way it was directing even before this fight. And like I said, good for him, man. Like, why not? You're again, as I said, he's playing with house money. If he beats O'Malley, he's got all the money. He's he's literally won at the blackjack table. He's got all the money in the world. And at that point, he's just playing for for you know, he's just playing for legacy. He has nothing left to lose at that point. And how about Cejudo? He's got to be sitting back now thinking, God dang it, <laughs> I was one round away from winning this fight. And now my boy Aljo. Aljo's taking my path. He's going to go fight O'Malley for the big payday that he wanted. And now he's even going to take the blueprint. And if he wins that fight, he's going to go fight Volkanovsky, which was the same, the, the, the blueprint that Sudo had laid out. I mean, it, <laughs> it's it's got to be somewhat frustrating for Sudo to see somebody else taking that victory. But um, but he deserves it. He deserves it. And there's no more, there's no more looking past Aljo. Uh, which I've 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 been a victim of as well, man. I, you know, as I said, sometimes it doesn't jump off the paper how good Aljamain Sterling is until you see him inside the octagon. You see guys trying to deal with that length and that reach and that ability and that speed and everything that he possesses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, Henry Cejudo, of course. You know, we weren't sure after Saturday night. He kind of left it up in the air. Is he going to fight again? Is he not? And I understand that. I actually said going into it, if Henry lost, I thought maybe he would walk away again because coming back was all about these legacy fights. And you said he mapped it out. It was going to be Aljamain, O'Malley, and then and then Volkanovski. He lost, and we saw the tweet earlier today. He called out Marab. Now, I'll be honest with you, Alan. I don't know that the I, the UFC, like the way they're thinking, because I, I think Dana has said this, and I listen, I it's a business. I get it. You know, he's a little. He seems a little, maybe a little upset, or a little bummed that you know we can't do Marab and Aljo. It would be a big fight in the storyline. But I respect the fact that they're not going to fight each other, so we move on. It seemed like Marab and Corey Sanhagen is the fight to make because then if Aljamain does, if he loses to O'Malley, then you got a number one contender in Marab or, or Sanhagen, two guys he's never fought. If Aljamain goes to 145 and he just he just gets rid of the title, then the winner of Marab and, and Corey Sanhagen could then maybe fight Cejudo. For an for a vacant for a vacant title, um, I like the call out, and I'm glad Henry's sticking around. I said this on Saturday night on Twitter. I said he's still one of the best in the world. I hope he does stay because that was one round difference of him being back and being champion. I hope he stays, and it looks like he's going to. But me personally, I don't know that they're going to give him the Marab fight because if he beats Marab. I, I again I just I think Marab Sandhagen's the fight to make just because they're both they're both coming off big wins. They're both fresh and we could book that fight sooner, maybe like July. But again, I'm glad Henry's sticking around. The the thing about this division is that everybody's last fight in the division outside of the champ has 
has given them momentum to be the next guy in line, right? When we saw Marab go out there and just say, this guy has a gas tank unlike anything we've ever seen. He became the next guy in line, right? And then Corey Sanhagen comes in against Cheeto, which a lot of people like myself thought Cheeto had the advantage in there with the power. And then Corey Sanhagen looks phenomenal in that fight. Then he kind of leapfrogged the division and became that next guy in line. So it's you. we can't uh, understate enough how on fire this division is and how important everybody's last fight is because you have a good showing, you get a victory over a tough guy, and you look dominant. It puts you up there. I like Cejudo calling out that fight because it keeps him in the game. And if that's the only fight that he wants – Otherwise, he maybe retires. If I'm the UFC, I give him that fight because I keep Suhudo in. He's a draw. It keeps another big name in the division. Without him, it's one less name. So I like that fight for him. I say give him that fight. But then where do we go with where do we go with Corey, right? Does Sanhagen sit on the sidelines and then wait to see what happens with the possible winner of uh of both of those fights? Let's say Suhudo and Marab fight. Now you gotta look at who's gonna face the winner of that one. And now you look at the the the, the title fight with O'Malley um, and Aljo. And so he kind of becomes the odd man out, does Sanhagen. But either one of those, Marab versus Suhudo or Marab versus Sanhagen, I'm, I'm, I'm for <laughs> I'm for either of those. Yeah, and I'm just glad Henry's staying in because I think he is still one of the best guys in the world. I don't think it would take much for him to get back to the title. Again, we've said numerous times, it seems like Aljamain has kind of mapped his path out of bantamweight. You know, one more fight and gone. Uh, so, yeah, Henry's sticking around again. I don't, And again, I have no problem with the Marab fight. I think it's a tremendous fight, good storyline after fighting Aljamain. Um, he may not like what he gets in the fight with Marab because Marab's a monster, man. That may, that, may, that may be the fight where he's like, well, maybe I maybe I do want to hang him up again because Marab's a freaking monster. Um, but again, it, would, it does set up perfectly. Whether it's Marab against Corey or Marab against Henry, it sets up perfectly for the winner to then fight for a title, assuming either whether it's Al- O'Malley winning and then needing a, an opponent or Aljamain winning and leaving the belt behind. Um, either way, I'm fine. And again, I've said this on the record. I think right now Bantamweight is the the most fun division in our sport. I and mean, we got a guy like Umar Nurmagomedov who, who is out there who could legitimately be yeah. the best Bantamweight in the sport. He just hasn't had those fights yet. I mean, that's a guy who's ranked like number eight or nine or whatever he is in the division. And that's how deep this division is. Bantamweight's ridiculous right now. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He's kind of the, the dark horse right right now, Umar lurking in, in the darkness later in the uh, further down in the, the division he just hasn't had those staple wins yet over the big names to, to to put him up there but um yeah i'm just trying to think into the future right now damon i'm thinking we both kind of think that it's a very good stylistic matchup aljo against o'malley so let's say aljo does win that fight he reclaims the belt but then he vacates it so now it's a a vacant title right so now O'Malley had just lost, so he's back down on the track, and so it pushes everybody back up. Um, so much, so many moving parts in this division, but it's a fun, it's a good thing to have, right? I mean, it's you, you see some divisions like uh, like two hundred five, you know, was for a while where it was just like uh, everybody's been beaten, everybody's been beaten. So let's get the the, the number eight guy who's on a two fight win streak and let him fight John Jones or somebody, or in this current state of the two hundred five, where it's the, the the belt is just switching hands every other fight or something. You don't really have a, a definite champion, but 
there's so many fun moving parts. And I think that's the intrigue in this division. Not only is the talent level so high, but not everybody has been beaten. You know, every there's still a bunch of very viable matchups to make in this division. So it, it's, it's going to have a lot of longevity and good matchups for a while. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I agree. I agree. Now, the co-main event, of course, was Bilal Muhammad pulling off a, a huge win over Gilbert Burns. Both these guys took the fight on two weeks' notice and saying they did this and did it for five rounds. I thought Bilal had a pretty brilliant performance. And listen, I know Bilal you know, gets a lot of hate. He... <laughs> He breaks some of it on himself with the hilarious. Now I see where the Nets left New Jersey, which was one of the funniest lines of all last week. He kind of embraces it a little bit, but I thought it was a tremendous performance. Um, and listen, I said this, you know, afterwards, and I stand by this. Listen, I have I have nothing against Colby Covington. I don't like a lot of what he says, and I think he says way too much stuff just to get attention, but he is a tremendous fighter. Um, but the reality is, in my opinion, Alan, I, again, I'm saying this, I know it's not going to play out this way. Colby's getting the title shot. They made that pretty clear. He's getting Leon Edwards. Why they're obsessed with that fight, I have absolutely no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. But the real number one contender at welterweight, the real this is like back when they made GSP and Nick Diaz and Johnny Hendricks is out there like, hey, I'm 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 right here on like a huge win streak. Uh Bilal Muhammad is the real number one contender at welterweight. If there was yeah. any question before Saturday night, he answered that. Of course, again, he's not getting the title shot. They're giving it to Colby. I've given up on that. They're giving it to Colby for some unknown reason. But the real number one contender, the guy who deserves it, really deserves it, is Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad. What is he on now? Ten fight unbeaten streak. The one no contest in that unbeaten streak was Leon Edwards. I mean, there is a storyline there. I don't understand the Kobe Covington push either, but I credit it to, okay, Leon Edwards was a guy that, what did we say about him for years before he became the title holder? Man, super good, well-rounded, probably could be a champion, but he's not that marketable, right? He doesn't really speak a lot. Um, sometimes some of his fights aren't that entertaining, even if he does get a finish, you know, just, he's not, he's not a, he's not always a blood and guts type of fighter. He's more of a, you know, a smart stay out of danger, uh, with finishing ability. Um, and then he had his moment and then he had his head kick shot to the head where he won the title. And that storyline started playing in the Rocky when we saw the corner saying like, you, you got to believe in yourself. You want to believe it? Like you got to go out there and get it, man. Headshot, headshot, headshot. He hits the headshot. 
And everybody became a Leon fan after that. I started following him after that fight, man. I was so intrigued by this storyline and, and the Rocky, the Rocky storyline, the call by John Andy. So everything that was Leon's moment right there. That that's what he needed in the UFC. And then in the U that's what the UFC needed out of Leon. If he was going to become a champion and he would have squeaked out a victory and had some boring post-fight speech, they're trying to get him out of there. He had what, what we needed. He got the finish. He had this, this beautiful moment where he was crying with his mom on the phone. I mean, it was it was the best thing that could have happened for both parties, Leon Edwards and the UFC. Now, they go and they have a rematch, rematch, and he gets the victory again. But what I took from it was the storyline is done. The, 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 the ace has been shown. Now, like, it wasn't as exciting. It, the the post-fight you know, speech wasn't as exciting. And Leon be, kind of became that guy that was kind of like, oh, okay, well, is he still going to sell pay-per-views? Is he still a huge draw? He was after that head kick knockout. But then we go back to kind of his normal fighting style and his normal personality. And this is not a diss, but it just is what it is. He's not bringing in the masses. Not everybody has to see him fight. And so what I think the UFC is pushing Kobe so hard is because they go, we need an AB side. We need somebody who's going to sell this. And Kobe... Kobe doesn't give a shit. He's going to say all the stupid stuff in the world. He's going to hire all the girls in bikinis. He's going to do whatever he has to do to market this fight. And I think that's why the UFC is leaning so heavy on Kobe. They don't trust that Bilal will have the AB side to be able to help sell the fight if it was Bilal versus Leon Edwards. But you know what I took from the fights last weekend, Damon? Um, did you catch and you mentioned that he referenced the whole New Jersey sucks thing? I felt like Bilal was testing the waters and becoming a heel. I felt like when he got the, when he had the mic and he had the hot mic and he had an opportunity to sell something, to do something, and DC was pushing very hard, you know, you're the next guy in line. He could have just gone and been boring and to say, you know, I want Kobe, blah, 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 I deserve this shot. But instead, he took a shot at the crowd. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to kind of become a heel. Maybe if people kind of start hating me even more, I don't know why he gets the hate, it'll be more of a draw. And so I think Blah was starting to dip his toes in the water and just test what's possible because me and Bilal fought in his UFC debut. Bilal was a confident guy, but he wasn't as outspoken. Over the last couple of years or, or that he's been in the UFC, he's been in the UFC for a minute now, but the last few years, you've seen Bilal's very, very uh, relevant on social media. Yeah, maybe some of it's his um, manager, but a lot of it is him as well. He's very quick to snap back. When he got into it with Conor McGregor at first, Bilal kept speaking. Man, I say one thing and I get thousands of hate mail uh, replies and it bothered him. Now he doesn't bother him at all. He will hate on Conor. He will hate on Kobe. He will hate on Leon. He will call you out in a second. He's gotten very good at finding his kind of demographic. How can I sell? How What, what gets me the most feedback? And I think it's a very smart approach from Bilal to do that, to say, okay, I've got the fighting attributes, but for some reason the crowd doesn't get on my side. What can I do? And he's doing that. And I, I don't mind him kind of just going, you know, full heel and just kind of being the bad guy, if that's going to warrant him more opportunity to fight for the title. I remember years ago talking to Michael Bisping, who is one of my favorite people in this sport. Nice guy. I've been around Michael many, many years. And even when he was in the, in the thick of his career, when he was probably the most hated guy 
on the entire UFC roster. I was like, I wish you could see the real Michael Bisping. He is actually one of the incredibly, the nicest, most accommodating people I've ever talked to. I remember when he fought Rashad Evans back in the day, I was at a hotel in New Jersey hanging out with his dad the entire day of the fight. We were just watching fights. His dad, Jan, is like the nicest guy in the world. And, uh, and like, I was like, you don't understand, but Michael embraced the hate. He just embraced it. He's like, bring it on. You're going to hate on me. I'm just going to keep feeding it to you. And now he's kind of turned the corner after his career. Now everyone kind of loves Bisping. We kind of realize like yeah. what we had in him. I think you're right. Bilal's just embracing. He's like, okay, you're not going to cheer for me. You're not going to root for me. I'm going to go the pro wrestling route. I'm going to make fun of your town. He, he did a little bit with, with Brady too. He's talking about how Philly sucked and obviously they were in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So it didn't play as well. But when he said that line at the press conference, and he said, now I see where the nets left for Brooklyn. I was like, Oh, that's like the classic pro wrestling move. Like he's trying to get people to hate on him and good for him. Like I said, you know, you got to find a way to get people interested. And, and Bilal Muhammad is a cl- again, clearly to me, the number one guy in the world besides Leon Edwards, but you still got to draw people in. And I've said this a million times, Alan, if you are a, a mixed martial arts fan or supporter, strike the word deserves from your vocabulary because it will drive you insane. This sport is not about deserves. It is about who's going to sell. That's why Colby Covington's in this position. You're absolutely right. You're 110% right. Even though, again, I'll keep saying I don't get it. I do get it in that way. That's why. That is why he's going to sell the fight. And if Leon beats Colby, which I think he has a great chance of doing, that just puts him over even bigger. And then you maybe could legitimately sell Leon versus Bilal as a big card, maybe do it in England, something like that. But I love that Bilal's embracing it. I hope he does. Keep embracing it. Have fun because Bilal is actually, he's one of the few people who actually went toe-to-toe with Conor McGregor on social media. In my opinion, won. He had a couple, even on Saturday night, Connor tweeted out piss poor about that fight and he tweeted yep. back at him, when's the last time you won a fight? And I was just like, that's yeah. like the perfect answer. Bilal's a funny guy. Uh, he, he's, he's actually really intelligent with the way he does his kind of like trash talk. And, uh, Again, brilliant performance, and then you cap it off with, like you said, he didn't say Colby, he didn't say Leon. He made fun of the town and the state and got everyone riled up and freaking out and did it in a did it in a much less Colby Covington way, by the way. He didn't go full-on insult. He did, like, the pro wrestling thing, like, your town sucks, like, that kind of thing. Um, again, yeah, embrace it. Like I said, there's certain people you got to embrace it, and it seems like he's been cast into a role. And for whatever reason, and he's accepting it. Good for him. Like I said, and and I hope that I hope that Colby and Leon does get scheduled relatively soon. I know they're not doing July. I talked to Leon about this. He said, you know, September, October would be perfect, great. And if I'm Bilal Muhammad, I know nothing. I know we all know nothing's guaranteed in life. But at this point, you just won again. I talk about house money. You just won with house money. You shouldn't have been in this fight. You took it on. You were in Ramadan. You were in Canada eating poutine. You were not getting ready for a fight, dude. You were not getting ready. And you went out there and beat freaking Gilbert Burns, who's one of the best in the world, who was coming off a, a fight of his own. You go out and win this fight, dude, sit. Sit and wait. I'm, I Generally, it's a bad move, but in this regard, if they booked that fight in August, September, somewhere around there with Colby and Leon, just sit and wait, dude. Just sit and wait. You might be on the, on the shelf for nine months, but you're going to get the title shot, and that's really what matters. And he he could let everything heal up, work on tweaks for if he possibly has to face either one of those guys and be the backup guy. Be the backup guy, go way in at that fight in case something happens because that's a long time, right? And somebody, either one of them can get injured or there's a weight problem or something. So I agree. Sit on the shelf. You've done all that you can. The worst tragedy that you could see in this, well, I'd say the worst tragedy you could see in this sport, but a tragedy is when you see a guy 
work so hard and you mentioned the word deserving, but you know, what, what comes to mind is uh, Tony Ferguson, who's in the news right now for other things, but Tony Ferguson, when he was on that like nine fight win streak and he kept having to chip away, chip away, chip away, go one step up the ladder rather than making that big jump. And anytime the possible super fight would come, it never happened. Him and Khabib never happened. And, and he, he, he worked so long and never really got rewarded for it. You would hate for that same travesty, to happen to Bilal Muhammad where he's he's done everything he has to do and doesn't get the title shot. Maybe he has to go and like you said, if if he didn't sit on the shelf, if he went if they tried to match him up against um Rachmanov or somebody like that, or put him in there with Shemaev or just something and maybe it doesn't go his way and then he loses all that momentum. Hell no. Fan Bilal, I've done everything plus more. Not only did he take this fight against Gilbert Burns, as you mentioned on two weeks notice. He said, let's go five rounds. He didn't have to take five rounds. He could have said, look, I'm doing you guys a favor. Pay me the extra hundred grand for taking this fight on a short notice. I'm going three rounds, though, because I'm just coming off of Ramadan on two weeks notice. I went. He went five rounds, and he didn't get tired the entire time. Gilbert, I mean, Gilbert Burns, you looked at this warrior that went against Shemaev in that fight. That was not the same guy that we saw against Bilal. And I'm not saying that Gilbert was different. I'm just saying Bilal just did a very good job of uh, you saw he took one of Gilbert Burns' best shots and just kept pressing forward. He wasn't getting hit that much, but when he did get hit, he took the shots very well. He stayed out of danger. He he always has a tremendous gas tank. I mean, and the kicking game, Bilal's kicking game ha- 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 has grown leaps and bounds. He used to be kind of a, 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 a boxer with a few kicks. He would mix in the wrestling. Then he became very wrestling heavy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now you're seeing the kicking game. He was kicking the crap out of Gilbert the entire fight and, and, and having success using that game. Absolutely. And I think realistically, there's no one for Bilal to fight right now. I mean, if Chemayev was going to stay at welterweight, that would seemingly be the one to make, but he's not. He's going to middleweight. We all know that. They've all talked about the Paulo Costa fight. And I think it's better for Chemayev. He's killing himself. He did not, you know, it was not going to look good when he missed weight by nine pounds or whatever it was for the Diaz fight. Go be a middleweight. He seems like a natural middleweight. Let's just leave Shemayev out of there. If that's out of there, there's no one else. I mean, Rachmanov's a monster, but he's not there yet. I think Usman, obviously, if Usman, if, if, he, had, if he hadn't fought Gilbert Burns, Usman was the fight he wanted, and that would have made a lot of sense. But now, no, because, you know, if Usman beats him, then we're back to square one again. You know, we're going to see Usman Covington or Usman Edwards. So, you know, Usman, yeah, maybe I don't want to see it. Yeah, maybe you do Usman Rachmanov, or maybe you do Usman Gilbert too when when Gilbert's healthy again. Uh, but yeah, Bilal just sit and wait, man. At this point, like you're not going to really gain anything, and there's really no the real the uh, reality is, in my opinion, there's no one for him to fight. I mean, there's it, beating Gilbert Burns was the only other guy on a streak you could have fought. So who else are you going to fight? Like you're just risking it at that point. Uh, why? Like why would you bother? And, and Gilbert was the bad matchup for him too, right? Gilbert was the guy that great wrestling, tremendous jujitsu. More powerful striker, good gas tank as well, solid chin. I mean, um, I don't think many people uh, thought that Bilal was going to win. Um, do you know who one person that thought Bilal was going to win? Anthony Pettis. <laughs> Anthony Pettis. I saw somewhere that he put down a lot of money. I don't remember what it was. It was like 30 or 40, 30 or 40 grand, maybe more, maybe 80 grand or something. But for Bilal to win, and let me tell you, he killed it. Anthony's always making money, but a lot of people didn't think, they thought that was the wrong matchup for Bilal. Bilal has to wrestle you. He has to wrestle you. How's he going to wrestle 
um, somebody as good as Burns. No, he went out there and just used his full arsenal and, and got it done again. Switching stances, that was a brilliant game plan, kept Gilbert guessing. It was yeah. just a great performance, like I said. Um, he's the number one guy. You know, in, in, Again, in reality, he is the number one contender. He's not going to get the next title shot. It's going to be Colby. I've given up on that. It's going to be Colby, but he is the legit number one contender. And now, like uh, Bilal said something to me before the fight, and I did an article about it, and it said, um, if I beat Gilbert Burns and you're still, you still, you know, don't give me my respect, you're just a hater. And that's the reality. At this point, if you're just, if you're just giving Bilal Muhammad uh, an issue because he fought a five-round fight or, or he didn't put on the most exciting fight, you know, taking a fight on two weeks freaking short notice. You're just a hater at this point. Like, and, and, and again, like you said, maybe he's finally embracing it. It seems like he is. Uh, he's having fun with it. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting, like I said, depending on if he fight. I mean, imagine, imagine Bilal putting on that kind of show in terms of the the performance part of it in terms of the uh the pre-fight build-up and he does that in england with with leon edwards i mean you that crowd would lose their minds if he just starts ripping on england or whatever like that'd be a great opportunity for him yeah there's there's marketability there um and again like i said and i agree with him if you don't you don't have to like the guy i said it on saturday night love him or hate him he is the real number one contender, and people are still going to hate on. But you got to respect the guy, man. Who goes out there and does that on two weeks' notice against a guy as good as Gilbert Burns? Uh, again, give Bilal Muhammad his credit, man. You don't have to like the guy, but you got to at least, you know, begrudgingly say the guy, the guy has proven himself as a legit number one contender in this division. Can't do anything more, especially in a division like that. The guys that he's beating, I mean, these are really tough guys. So he's earned it. Last thing before we get out of here, Alan, I got to ask, of course, Yan Nan got a big win over the weekend. Uh, there were some other great fights. Real quick, I want to ask you this. I know I'm setting you up for a bit of a time bomb here on terms of your reaction because we saw it on Saturday night with uh, Dana White. Crone Gracie went out and had one of the more bizarre performances uh, in, 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 in recent history, and Dana said something after the fight that absolutely cracked me up, but he's right. He's like, I felt like I opened a time capsule from 1995. <laughs> yeah. And, and he came me out and I, and I said this, on, I, I, and I said, as listen, I know it's harsh. I, I, I don't, I don't ever like to call for people to get released or retire. That's just not my move. But I said, I said, Cron Gracie just should not be on the UFC roster. He's not that fighter. Like you cannot be in 2023. You cannot be that one dimensional. It just does not work. Um, can I just ask what you thought? Like, it's such a bizarre performance. And it, it, I don't, I don't think the UFC is going to bring him back. And again, I'll never advocate for anyone to lose their job. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I feel like if you really like, imagine him going into a, a fight against a guy, you know, obviously Charles Jordan's a good fighter. That's it's no offense to Charles Jordan, but imagine you throw him in there against a guy who who stuffs the takedown and then really just turns on the the offense to punishment. You're going to get a guy hurt. I mean, honestly, I think like he just. Just, you know, go do something, go, go do your jujitsu thing. Maybe learn. I mean, he was off for th- almost four years and he came back looking like that. Like, I just, I can't see it. I can't see it. He would have to evolve tremendously to, um, to keep a long career in the UFC because, um, you know, he can go back from this and he could really sit down with a boxing coach and say, I want to really polish my game. But, you there's technical attributes that you could add to your game. And then there's just natural physical attributes. And you can see physically, he's not a natural striker or an evasive, elusive type of guy. He's very flat footed. Uh, he's a jujitsu guy. I mean, he's one of the best jujitsu guys in the world and, and he's warranted a lot of respect from that. And that's, what's kind of inserted him into the UFC and these opportunities that he's had. But when you come out like that and you look like, 
you're watching Hoist Gracie in UFC two right here with the stance and the flat footedness and the pulling guard and the, it's not a good look. And that's, that's exactly what was going through my mind. Uh, I was watching the fights and I'm going, I can only imagine what Dana's thinking right now. Dana's got to be pissed. Dana's got to be on that phone, that red phone right now saying, what the hell he's got to be upset. So, um, I, you, you, you know what you know what they need to do with them they need to give them a jiu-jitsu guy and just make it a fun fight and see what happens there what's god i can't think of everyone a name everyone, everyone said everyone was saying ryan hall ryan hall's the fight you yes, make because he's like the I'm other of. he's the other jiu-jitsu guy <laughs> give him ryan hall and let's see some crazy ass technical jiu-jitsu let's just make it one of these feature fights where it's like I can't wait to see what's going to happen in this position and that position and make it fun. And then from there, we could see what happens. But, um, yeah, you can't give them another very well-rounded MMA uh, UFC guy that's going to stuff his takedowns that we're going to see. When you see butt scooting in the UFC, um, it, it's not a good look. It's it's just it doesn't – it looks like he hasn't evolved. you got to be able to at least roll and grab a single leg. you got to be able to do something um, or, or throw some you know better hands. But um, – I say give him Ryan Hall, man. Give him Ryan Hall. Give him one more opportunity to entertain the crowd with some type of slick jujitsu fight um, and then go from there. Yeah, I remember the fight years ago when they did Jake Shields and Damian Maya. That was one of my favorite fights. The scrambles, the wrestling, the exchanges on the ground. It was everything I hoped it would be. I, I really didn't want it to end up being a five-round sloppy striking matchup between two guys who aren't great strikers, but they ended up doing the ground fighting, and it was just tremendous. Jake Shields is a great example of a guy who evolved his game in terms of he became a really good wrestler to then apply his jiu-jitsu because when you just use jiu-jitsu, he, he was, Jake Shields was never a good striker. No one's ever going to lie and say he was, but he developed his wrestling to where he could take guys down without having to just pull guard. It just looked like, Chrome Gracie just looked like a fish out of water. Like you say, it was that, he, it was like, it was literally like watching flashback of Hoist Gracie. And listen, Hoist Gracie, legend, love him, of course, all-time great. He would not do well in mixed martial arts in 2023. That style just does not work anymore. It's just that we have be, we've evolved beyond that so far beyond that you cannot be a one-dimensional fighter in this sport not saying you have to be bo nickel in wrestling and and uh and, and israel out of science striking you're never going to be all that but you have to be at least good enough in the in rudimentary skills <laughs> to survive uh as you said butt scooting that should not be your your method of victory and even when he pulled guard like it was almost like almost it was like desperation pulling guard it wasn't even like an offensive like he was just going like he was throwing flying triangles to try to pull something off he was basically like i can't do anything else i'm just going to pull you down on top of me and hope for the best uh it's just it's again it's 2023 you cannot be a one-dimensional fighter in 2023 and we saw hints of this recently. Um, what's his name? Saul, Raul Saul Jr., the, the, the young kid. This young oh, Raul Rojas. Raul Rojas. Thank you. Um, and I don't think he's one-dimensional, but he's got a definite strength, and his strength has been his grappling, right? That's his thing. He's just so good and just like – he's still got like he, – he, 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 he's strong, but he's got like almost that like – I don't want to say little kid. Like I'm trying to get – He's able to move still and 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 bend and and his flexibility like he's not stiff like like some you know when you start putting on the muscle and stuff he's just able to find scramble opportunities and 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 he was doing tremendous in the UFC then they put him up against a very well rounded guy who was able to stuff these takedowns counter some of these submissions lay down some ground and pound and you saw him kind of get exposed slightly where he's still young enough 
uh, where he's still able to be molded. He still has a very, very bright future. They just put him against too much of a well-rounded guy. But for Gracie, he's he, you can't. He's at the age where he, he's and in, in the point of his career, you're not going to mold him into another fighter. He's not going to. He's going to get a little bit better at boxing and maybe change and working a little bit better more on his wrestling entries to try to uh, obtain these takedowns. But he's not going to change his identity. That's who he is. Um. We're just seeing it. Yeah, the the sport has evolved. He didn't evolve with it. Give him that jujitsu matchup <laughs> and just have some fun with it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, Alan, it is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. One of the best analysts, one of the best minds in the sport, which is why I wanted to have you break down everything with me on UFC 288. Uh, obviously, you're a very, very busy guy. What do you have coming up next that uh, people can see? I know you've been doing the analyst thing a lot. Uh, one day we're going to see you call fights. I, I think I'd like to see you call some oh, UFC man. fights. I, I feel... Um, I never thought I would say this. I feel like Laura Senko right now. I feel like Laura Senko. That's that's an odd thing to say. I don't I don't feel that pretty, but um, yeah. What I'm getting at is that Laura Senko has become a um like a uh, uh, with uh, like a MacGyver knife, you know, like like she just she she she's so useful for the UFC. She does everything, and I feel like the UFC is starting to push me in that position where um they they have don't get mad at me guys, but they have me going to do something with slap fighting. Uh, next week and then i'm doing the fight night on may 20th and then i'm going to china and doing the the inside the octagon interviews and and cage side reporting as well so the reporting so this is stuff i've never done the, the, the reporting the inside the octagon interviews the slap fighting so they're starting to kind of um see how much they can get out of me so i like it you know i like to be challenged i like to have new areas but the end goal obviously would be on the color commentary i do i've been doing color commentary for uh three years now with the lfa i love it um and yeah i can't wait to have my opportunity i'm hoping that it's coming because you saw the same that's why i bring up laura senko because i felt like they used her as utility knife for a long time she did everything she was an analyst at the desk with me obviously she would do reporting and then when she had her opportunity on um on um uh um dana white not looking for a fight. I'm sorry. On the uh, contender, contender series, series. Yeah, contender series. She was doing everything. I mean, she was a Swiss Army knife. She would do the interviews, the the cage. She would be an analyst, and so um, I feel somewhat like they're pushing me in that direction. So I look forward to bigger and more things to come. Well, I look forward to it as well, and that's a great example. Uh, you know, Laura does an incredible job. I thought she did great in her first couple commentary roles, and uh, and you said LFA, of course, they just got licensed to uh, do events in Nevada too. So yeah. we're going to see some LFA events in Las Vegas, I'm sure, in the near future. Uh, Ed Soares and the crew over there doing a great job with LFA. So look forward to that, Alan. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you cutting out some time for me today. I appreciate it. Uh, obviously, look forward to whatever you have coming up next and the fights you're going to be going to, and of course in China as well. And uh, come back anytime, man. It's always a blast to have you on the podcast thank you brother my pleasure we'll talk soon take care man it is always a pleasure to be joined by the great Alan Joban, one of the great minds in our sport, uh, one of the busiest guys in our sport, for him to donate his time to us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, great thoughts, of course, on both the main and co-main. And, you know, we had to talk a little bit about Crone Gracie, one of the uh, most talked about figures of the weekend, probably for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, it, it did it did uh, make quite a few headlines on Saturday and Sunday, for that matter, after what was uh, could only be described as a, a throwback performance. I guess that's the kind way to say it's a throwback performance, not in the good way. Uh, all right. As I said earlier in the show, uh, nobody, very few people had as much vested interest in that main event 
on Saturday night more than this guy. And he is uh, coming off a win over Marlon Chito Vera. Uh, also beat Song Yadong fairly recently. And uh, his name's Corey Sandhagen, of course. He's hoping to get that fight with Murad Dewalishvili and put himself into a position to fight the winner of Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Or, you know, again, let's be honest, if Aljamain Sterling wins, he's probably going to leave the division. It very easily could be uh, Corey Sanhagen against Murab Duelish really with a vacant title on the line as well. So I wanted to bring Corey on to talk about his thoughts. He was there cage side in Jersey to watch the fight between Aljamain and Cejudo. And also, of course, where he goes from here in the Bantamweight division. Coming off of UFC 288, the Bantamweight title was defended, of course, Aljamain Sterling defeated Henry Cejudo in the main event. I couldn't think of a better person to talk about that main event than a guy who could be battling for that title one day very, very soon, coming off a huge win of his own over Marlon Chito Vera. It is always my pleasure to speak to Corey Sandhagen. Corey, how are you? I'm good, Damon. How you doing, man? I'm fantastic, man. Appreciate you taking the time as always. You were in Jersey. You were right there to see it all unfold. Uh, this is your division. You're right there knocking on the door of title contention. Let me just ask the obvious question. What did you think of Cejudo and Sterling? Uh, I thought it was a great fight, man. Um, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great fight. Um, I, I kind of, it's really hard for me to score those ones, especially because I was just watching from a different lens. And I think, you know, maybe most people were where I was trying to like learn some stuff by watching them and learn, you know, where they're weak, where they're good, all of that stuff. So, uh, I kind of had Henry winning the fight a little bit, but I also, like I said, I really wasn't scoring it round by round. I was kind of just looking for a bunch of mistakes on their end and looking for what they do good as like a competitor's point of view. So, uh, but yeah, it was a close fight. It was a good fight. The grappling exchanges were awesome. Aljamain did really awesome in the grappling exchanges. Um, Henry probably could have took advantage of some of them and he didn't. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a good fight, I thought. I know uh, you hate picking fights, but I always try to get you to pick fights every time we do an interview. And when you did before the Cheeto fight, you said you lean Cejudo. You kind of lean Cejudo again. You you were not you know dogging Aljamain by any stretch of the imagination. Just lean Cejudo. I was super impressed. Cejudo came back and looked as good as he did. I think I did have concerns about the whole three years off and everything, but I thought he looked good. Uh, but I was super impressed with Aljamain. You know, I mean, four takedowns. That's something a lot of people didn't think he could do against an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, you know, he did take the back briefly a couple of times. Uh, you know, look good on the feet as well. Like, I think, again, close fight, not a robbery. I've, ha- I've had some people say the same thing. They thought Suda won. I scored it for Aljamain. Been a close fight. But I was just super impressed with, like, how Aljamain did in that fight because I think a lot of the ways that people thought Henry would beat him, he, he did pretty good, especially the wrestling. Like, I don't think a lot of people thought he could take Suda down. He did it four times. Yeah, yeah, the takedowns were really surprising. He did really awesome in that regard. Uh, his footwork has improved a lot, too. Like, uh, I thought Henry's path to victory was going to be just, like, march him down and put him in exchanges uh, because Aljamain, uh, he, you know, he some. I, I just thought that that's where he would maybe lose. You know, if I was going to see Aljamain losing, it would be in just Henry throwing him in a bunch of exchanges because – Sterling just being a longer guy, like uh, it, the exchanges don't really favor him as much. So I thought that that's how Henry was going to do it. But Aljamain moved his feet. He got pressed against the cage a couple times, but uh, he moved his feet real good. Uh, he defended a lot of the shots and then he got his own. So, you know, he did exactly what he had to do and he did a really awesome job, man. I, I think he 
it, it was it was surprising, you know, like always when you watch Aljamain fight. Uh, Aljamain, you know, I've said this to other people, Corey. Aljamain has had kind of like one of the roughest runs as champion because, you know, he he won the title with the illegal knee, not his fault, by the way, not his fault at all. He goes out and he beats Piotr Jan in the second in the second in the second fight, but it was a close fight again. Some people thought Piotr Jan won again. I thought Aljamain won, but it is what it is. And then he fights TJ, and TJ, you know, comes out after I had you know two bum shoulders and. All this kind of thing. And again, I hate when you're know, after the fact we're taking away a guy's victory. I, I hate that. But that's, again, kind of like the the the, the run that algermain has been on. Listen, this was a close fight. I don't think anyone – I hope no one's calling this a robbery. Even if you lean towards Cejudo, it was a close fight. Does it feel like maybe Algermain's starting to get the respect he deserves? I mean, I know, you know you're a former opponent. Ideally, you would love to rematch with him one day. But just kind of taking yourself out of it. like, And I know you're a good analyst this way, Corey. Like – is it finally time for people to start giving Aljamain a little bit more respect? Because good lord, like this guy's had like one of the weirdest runs as champion. But you cannot take away the Henry Suda thing. Henry looked good. Henry didn't look rusty. He didn't look like man, it's been three years. He didn't look like oh man, time has passed him by. He had a good performance. He just lost a close decision. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I think uh, I think Henry got outfought. You know, like Aljamain did exactly what he kind of had to do. It still was a super close fight, you know, don't get me wrong. But if you look at, like, kind of what was happening in the fight is Aljamain was doing really well in the grappling, which was a little bit unexpected. I thought that uh, Suhuda, you know, even though Aljamain's a great grappler, I thought, you know, Suhuda's an Olympic champ. I thought that he'd have a little bit more success. Um, but Aljamain, like, took him down a couple times, had a crack at his back um you know uh like did really good in like the 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 like tie up exchanges um they both did actually really good in the tie up exchanges but i mean what kind of won it for aljamain is him just having a lot better footwork than he's had in the past you know like you've never really seen aljamain move backwards that much just because he's always been the dominant grappler and he's never really had to move backwards. So I was really curious to see if he was going to be able to fight backwards and he did fight backwards really good. He moved his feet really well. And uh, that was like a problem for Cejudo. And I think it's something that Cejudo probably wasn't uh, really banking on, but um, you know, overall, I, like I said, I think it was like a super good fight. It's it's uh, I'm trying to remember everything just because <laughs> I was watching it with like an intensity that, uh, uh, it's hard to remember, but uh, yeah, it, it was yeah, it was a good fight. I thought that yeah, Aljamain. Oh, that was the question. Aljamain. Yeah, I think that he definitely deserves his respect. I think that he should, based off of who he's fought in the past, and then uh, definitely after this one, just showing that he can grapple with literally maybe the best grappler in the UFC, w with the exception of maybe a couple of other names. He showed that he could do that. He showed that he can fight on all fronts, move his feet, moving backwards. Uh, which was something that I, I didn't know that he had a skill in. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that he should get the the respect that he deserves because, like you said, Cejudo did – he did look good, man. He didn't look bad in the first round. I was like, ooh, man, like if Aljamain keeps that pressure, Cejudo's not going to – you know, that's going to be a problem. But then Cejudo started putting pressure on Aljamain, and he had an answer for it. So it was good. It was a good back and forth. Yeah. So now afterwards, you know, good win for Aljamain – 
And then afterwards, we get the Sean O'Malley thing. We knew that was coming. Uh, you know, these in-cage confrontations generally don't go well. Uh, this one, <laughs> I, yeah, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't go like, I mean, it didn't go crazy. We didn't go full on like pushing and shoving. Marab stealing the jacket was hilarious. Or I didn't say stealing the jacket. Putting the jacket on and jumping on the cage was hilarious. Uh, and that, you know, caused the dust. We know it's going to be Aljamain and Sean, you know, Sean O'Malley next. Um, I always go back. To something that Anthony Smith said to me before Sean O'Malley fought Piotr Jan. He said, in this division, Piotr Jan is probably the best possible matchup for Sean O'Malley because Sean is so long, he's so good with distance, and Piotr Jan is not a wrestler. He's like, that is a fight I can see him winning. What Sean O'Malley doesn't want is to fight guys like Aljamain Sterling, and he specifically mentioned you, Corey Sandhagen. And he's like, guys who are also tall, long, can match him at distance, and, and have, you know, he said you're a better striker than O'Malley, and Aljamain's a better grappler than O'Malley. Um, I like Sean O'Malley. I don't, I don't think he's, a, I don't think, I, I think he's a good fighter. So when I say this, it sounds like I'm, I'm basically looking past him, but stylistically, I think this is, you and Aljamain were two guys, in my opinion, he did not want to see standing across the octagon from him. And I think I think this is a much better matchup for for Aljamain than let's say Henry Cejudo was, in my opinion. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh I think O'Malley has his handfuls against Sterling. I, I think that like you said, it's like a it's a really not good matchup for O'Malley. He's gonna obviously be resting a lot all the way up until their next fight. Um, but I mean, how you, you can only get so good in a short stint, you know, like I, I like really, it takes a long time to really develop skills that are reliable in a fight. And, you know, like one year isn't enough that that's, you know, uh, when I look back on what I had to change in some things, like after I had fought Sterling, it took me, you know, that's when I really was like, I'm learning how to wrestle and I'm learning how to wrestle really good. You know, and I still think obviously I'm still on that progression, but I would say it took me like two, three years at least to like get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm like comfortable doing this against the highest level of guy. You know, that that's not something that you really get to do in just one year's time. So, you know, and of course, O'Malley's been grappling and doing all of that for years and years and years. But I mean, we saw the the level of grappling that Sterling has by being able to take down Henry Cejudo, which is not easy to do, especially when you're the taller guy, uh, like, like getting takedowns on shorter guys is not an easy thing to do. So, I mean, yeah, O'Malley has his handful, man, like that, that's definitely not a good matchup by any means. And Sterling's no slouch in the striking. It's awkward, but it's not like, uh, he doesn't do super dangerous stuff and put himself in sketchy situations. So, uh, that's gonna, yeah, that's like a really a not favorable fight for O'Malley, but, Maybe he'll pull it off somehow, you know, and uh, but I, I can't really see how he would win that fight in my head. Yeah, Sterling is so awkward, too. Like, his takedowns don't come in traditional ways. Like, when he actually did the traditional takedowns against Henry with the double leg, he got stuffed. But when he went against the cage, body locked him, you know, then dropped down, you know, kind of scramble into those takedowns. And he's really good in the scrambles. Like, that's what Aljamain does. That's just, to me, is a nightmare for O'Malley because I don't think O'Malley – can you know a shorter stockier wrestler like Henry it's harder for him to like you know stretch out and get those submissions um I don't think he'll have that kind of struggle against an O'Malley if he gets O'Malley down and gets a body lock on him from the back or gets his back 
to me, it's like game over. Like, I just can't see, you know, he may survive, but I just don't see it going well for O'Malley. But it's a big fight. We know it's going to be a big fight. We know it's, a, you know, it's coming. And it looks like that's going to be Aljamain's swan song to Bantamweight. He wants to move on from that. Um, I know, like, in your, like, I know you're not thinking about it this way, Corey, but, like, it's kind of a bummer. Like, it seems like that's not going to be a rematch you'll get just because all signs are pointing to Aljamain leaving the division after that. But are you okay with, the like, the trajectory that we're on right now where it's going to be Aljamain O'Malley and then it looks like Aljamain's probably going to be gone? I, I would imagine win, lose, or draw. Like, it seems like he's pretty set on this being his last fight at Bantamweight. Uh, yeah, maybe, but everyone kind of changes their mind depending on what, what the state of the environment is, you know, like if I go out and I, whoever I fight next, I go out and I do really, really awesome. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype behind me and maybe there's more money in it for Aljamain to fight me than it is to fight in another weight class or whatever. Um, or, or there's more hype behind it or whatever it is, you know, I mean, Aljamain will take that opportunity too. So that's kind of what I'm counting on, to be honest. I don't really... Uh, I, I don't want Aljamain to win and then take off and then I never get to get my hands on him again. You know, like I, I, I really, I really want the opportunity to fight him again. Just, you know, to challenge myself and to challenge just, just to see how far I've come, you know, that, that would be like a really cool experience for me to have. Um, and who knows, you know, like if, if I get enough hype behind me, which I kind of have right now. And if I, uh, you know, if the UFC wants to fight, and they're they're willing to give Aljamain kind of what he's looking for as far as compensation for that goes. And I don't see why he wouldn't take it. So that's kind of what I'm banking on. I don't really want Aljamain to take off and then <laughs> me become champ. And then uh, he always kind of gets that tally over me. You know, I, I'd rather beat the beat the champ that's been the champ for a couple of years now and uh, and do it that way. But like I said, we'll see that that's kind of on Aljamain, you know, that, that ball's in his court. So, uh, you know, hopefully I can convince him into it somehow when, uh, when I have a real good performance in the next one. And then, like I said, hopefully the UFC will ask for that one. So we'll see. Yeah. So now before, before the fight with Cheeto, we talked and I know you said, you know, you like the O'Malley fight. O'Malley was, you know, not sitting out, Stylist Lacour, I think you're a horrible matchup for Sean O'Malley. So, like, I I don't know that Sean O'Malley would have signed up for that, but you kind of shifted gears and said, look, look, we know it's going to be the title fight. I'm moving on. Give me Marab. Uh, and that, to me, seems like the natural fight to make. Now, I don't know if you saw on Twitter this morning, Henry Cejudo suddenly come out, and now he's calling out Marab for Boston. He's like, I'm going to stick around. I want to fight Marab. And the first thing that popped in my mind, because I knew I was talking to you today, I remember that Nate Diaz moment. I was like, Corey Sandigan needs to come out and be like, uh, Henry Cejudo, you're taking everything I work for. I'm gonna, I want to fight you. But, but like, <laughs> Marab seems like the fight. But can I imagine whether it's Marab or it's, it's Marab or Cejudo? I mean, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, it seems like it's got to be you and Marab. Absolutely nothing against Henry Cejudo. He just fought um, five rounds. I know he's saying August, but that seems like a quick turnaround. But you and Marab, I mean, that seems like the fight, unless I'm crazy. Uh, I don't think you're crazy. I, I think that that's the fight that makes most sense on paper. Um, but <clears throat> I've talked to the UFC a little bit, you know, and they said that they're going to give me some options. Uh, they had to kind of see what was happening on Saturday night and how all of that played out first. So, uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for the UFC to get back to me. I, I don't know what Marab's timeline is with stuff. You know, some someone, you know, he potentially has an injury or whatever is going on. So, um, yeah, I don't really know fully what's going on, but uh, I'm supposed to get some options here pretty soon, and then I'll know, and then uh, 
but yeah, on paper, I mean, me and I mean, what makes more sense than me, me and Marab for a number one contender, you know? Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, again, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You know, Sterling does go out and, and fight O'Malley and win and then goes up to 145 or just vacates the title to go to 145, whatever the case may be. I mean, um, you know, you and Marab could easily be a fight for a vacant title, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, like, it's just the one that makes the most sense. Now, can I ask, like, again, like, now that we know he's probably going to stick around, would you be open to a Henry Cejudo fight? I mean, I imagine you would because, obviously, he's a former champion. If he's going to stick around, it would be a big fight. Would you be open to that? Yeah, definitely. Uh that's depending on whether or not Henry sticks around, but I would love to put a cap in my feather uh, of someone of that caliber, you know, like uh, that, that's why I'm here, you know, is to fight those best guys. And yeah. So, you know, Henry's never been on my radar too much just because I always thought he was in and out and all of this, but if he's saying that he's going to stick around, then I can throw him on the radar too. And uh, we can see what happens with that. But uh, yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I still don't love the idea of Henry coming back losing and then being able to call whatever fight he wants to call call out for so uh i think uh you know i think it should be me and marab but i'm i'm definitely you know you you've seen my career path you know i'm, I'm definitely not the guy to say no or shy away from a challenge so i'm cool with it man you know i would definitely entertain that fight if the ufc came at me with that one yeah, but I think you and Marab, like you said, I mean, you guys are on win streaks. It makes sense. And again, um, you know, if because again, if Aljamain's leaving, then, you know, Marab becomes an option again because obviously he won't fight Aljamain. I respect that. Uh, they don't want to fight each other. I totally understand that. And and that's cool. That's why I think you and Marab makes the most sense. And you're right. Listen, I like Henry Sudo. I think he's an incredible athlete. But, um, you know, coming back from three years away, he already kind of rattled the cage by getting the title shot just because he came back. You can't go and give him a rab now, too. Like, I think him and Cheeto would be a fun fight. I think that would make a lot more sense. Cheeto fought you, lost. He's coming off a loss. And if he beats Cheeto, he's right back in the mix again. Like, that would make sense because Cheeto's a, obviously a very, very good fighter in his own right. Uh, I think that would make a lot more sense. But, uh, yeah, I get it. He's trying to get the guy on the streak and, and you know, Marab's winning and all these kind of things. And, obviously, it's closer to Aljamain because it's his teammate. But I think you and Marab makes a lot more sense. Can I ask? I know you said they're going to give you some options. Um do you have an ideal timeline, like when you'd like to fight again? I mean, I know you like staying active, but it is also about the right opportunities. Like they're going to give you just some random fighter in August versus waiting until like November to fight Marab. You wait till November to fight Marab, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's more about, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I, of course I want to fight again this year, you know, so uh, I'm open to what I, I just want to hear the UFC's options, to be honest, you know, like, I could, as long as I have like my 10, 12 weeks to get ready for a fight, I'm pretty cool with that, you know? So as long as I have that amount of time to get ready for something and from the point that they tell me that I'm fighting till that point, that that's really all that I care about. So I don't have necessarily a huge timeline as far as when I want to fight, when I don't want to, you know, it, I'm going to make a smart decision for my career, even though I have a wedding planned in September. Uh, but I, I'm going to, uh, my fiance won't listen to this anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> that I'm going to probably do what's best for my career. So if it, if it means I need 10 to 12 weeks to get ready for a guy, then I'm going to, then I'm going to do that. So, so wherever the cards land on that is cool with me, but I, I can't imagine that it would be past September or October that, that you guys will see me back in there. Yeah. Well, also, you know, listen, I understand like you are a fighter's fighter. You fight, you know, you, you fight when they put a guy in front of you, you'll fight. But 
it feels like this is, you know, to me, you're one fight away from a title fight. And, and arguably, you could say, depending on how quickly they book O'Malley and, and Sterling, you know, if, if, if Sean, or excuse me, if Sterling wins, which again, I believe he will, and he just vacates the title, you and Moran could easily be a fight for a vacant title. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reality where that plays out as well. Um, so, I, I, can I imagine at this point, it is about. You know, not, not pick, when I say picking and choosing, like it's it's about the right opportunity because you're either you're either one fight away from a title fight or you're in a title fight. In my opinion, like you're not in a position where you're like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna fight the number seven guy. I don't know who the number seven guy is, but like, you're not in a position now where you just fight the next guy. Like it's Marab, maybe Cejudo if they want to say like put him back in a title fight, which I don't think they'll do. Uh, or you know, again, a title fight. Like I just again, I like to me, it's like it's worth waiting a couple extra months to get Marab or to get a title fight than just fighting the next best guy. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? No. Yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, I, I'm definitely, I see myself in a position where I'm regardless of what happens, if I'm not fighting for a title or a vacant belt or whatever, uh, I'm fighting for a number one contender spot. Um, I don't, I can't really imagine a scenario where that isn't the case. So whatever name they put in front of me for the next one, as long as it's a number one contender fight, which, you know, Marab is the guy that makes the most sense. But like I said, I'm open to hearing and entertaining whatever options it is. As long as it's a number one contender fight, I'll say yes to it. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense, too. And again, I, I know I'm, it sounds like I'm just discounting O'Malley. I try. I promise I'm not. Like, obviously, it's a fight. Anything can happen. Uh, I just think on paper, like, where I was up in the air with Cejudo and Sterling, like, I was kind of like, man, like, going into it, it's like I picked Cejudo, and then, like, a week before, I'm like, I switched to Sterling. And it kind of played out that way. It was a very close fight, very back and forth fight. I don't feel that way about Sterling O'Malley. Now, again, I've been wrong and I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong, but I don't feel that same way with O'Malley where I'm like, oh, it's 50-50. I'm like 70-30 Sterling. So I'm playing out the scenarios of Sterling winning, which again could be him you know, winning and then trying himself at 145, which again, in that scenario, I think you and Murad for a vacant title would make a lot of sense. Like maybe if they do that fight in August, maybe you and Murad fight in November and we could, you know, the UFC does not like waiting around. Maybe that's for a vacant title. I think that would make a lot of sense too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, that's why I'm kind of just waiting to hear about the options from the UFC. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess we'll just see. All, all of those are definitely options that I can see playing out. Um, and uh, and I'm really excited for it, man. Like, I, I, uh, I'm really enjoying training. I'm really enjoying, you know, where I am in life and uh, I'm enjoying being a really big name in uh, one of the hottest divisions in the UFC right now. So I'm enjoying all of it, man. And uh, I'm open to a lot of options, but like I said, like uh, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where my next one isn't for either a vacant belt or a uh, number one contender. So uh, that's, that's, I think what we're looking at. Tell Henry to sit down. Henry, you're great. You're a legend, but you know, don't take it. It's 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 you and Marab. Come on now. It's gotta be you and Marab. I mean, no offense, Henry. You can fight Cheeto. Uh maybe he fights Song Yadong. Song had a great win over Ricky Simone after after you beat him. Uh maybe he fights him, but you know, come on now. Like get back in line a little bit. You know, you don't get two in a row. Uh you gotta you gotta fight somebody else to get back in that spot. And then uh, and then we'll get in there. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna make you step on a bit of a landmine here, Corey, because you said something there about Bantamweight. You said Bantamweight's one of the best divisions, one of the most exciting divisions in sport. I've argued, and a couple other people have argued this as well, I think Bantamweight is now the best division in our sport. Now, that's not offense to – I love lightweight. Lightweight has always been kind of like the the deepest division. Everyone says it's the best division. I've always argued welterweight doesn't get enough credit for how good that division's been. I think Bantamweight across the sport 
is the best division in our sport. And I'm, I'm talking like sport wide because when you look at, you know, yourself, Aljamain, O'Malley, Cejudo, Cheeto, Marab, guys like Umar Nurmagomedov who aren't even in the list quite yet. And then you look at Patchy Mix over in Bellator, Sergio Pettis. Now you got Patricio Pitbull. Bantamweight to me is the most exciting and the best division of sport, deepest division of sport. Am I right or am I wrong? Uh, I would argue that you're right. Um, I don't, like I said, like uh, it's really hard for me to view all of this stuff from like a, uh, uh, like a lens that isn't just my own. So uh, I guess I don't think about it a ton, but I mean, it the, the bantamweight division, uh, I think I said this even a while ago, like it, it's not going anywhere either. You know, like that. I think that that's also one of those things too, where maybe in the other weight classes you see like uh, they're either not as competitive or not that they're not competitive, but they're not as competitive as this one. Or, you know, you can kind of like, like see that, it's going to maybe not be the same in one or two years once kind of the the older older generation kind of, you know, takes a backseat to the people that are coming in or whatever. But bantamweight, man, I, I think is in a place where it's going to be exciting for the next like two, three, four, five years. And uh, it's it's yeah, it's super awesome for me as just like a as like a fan of the sport, but also just like uh, just being grateful for being a part of it and being at the top. And hopefully I can solidify that I'm better than all of these guys by winning a belt and uh, keeping the belt for a long time. And uh, I'm really excited for, for that opportunity in the future. Um, and I, and, it, and it's just cool, man. It's just cool. But yeah, uh, you know, I'm of course biased as hell, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do agree. It's, it's the best in, in the UFC right now. Did you did you do a second take? Because I did on Saturday when they said this. Because you and I have spoken many times, you've been kind of running main events lately. And did you did you hear that Al, this is the first time Aljamain had ever headlined a card ever? I was like, really? And it was. He's he had never headlined a fight night card. I was like, that seems crazy to me. Because uh, I was like, wow, that was wild. Like I didn't know that when they said that on Saturday. I was like, really? And I looked it up. I was like, yeah, he never headlined a card before. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, that was a little crazy. I think that this will, uh, you know, I, I imagine my next one will be a main event, and I think that that'll maybe be my fifth one. <laughs> so that's kind, of, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and 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 if it is you and Marab, um, it's got to be five rounds, right? Like everyone talks about Marab's gas yeah. tank. Um, it's, I mean, there's just certain fights. Like I'm glad they did Gilbert and Bilal five rounds. Like I think certain fights when there's that much on the line. You got to do five rounds, and I think you and Marab has got yeah, because everyone talks about his cardio, right? Everyone talks about his conditioning, and he is. He's like an energizer bunny. He had a great fight against Peter Yan, uh, but I think it's got to be five rounds. Whether it's whether it's uh, even if it does end up like co-main event on a pay per view, still got to do five rounds, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I way big time prefer five round fights. Uh, they're like more tiring or whatever. But when you're used to them, you're used to them. Like uh, I've been getting ready for five round fights for like you know, almost three years now. So I'm pretty used to the the process of doing all of that and being peaked and and ready to perform uh, for, for that long of a time. So, yeah, so definitely I, I think that it's got to be a five-rounder. Um, uh, yeah, I, I big time way more like uh, five-round fights. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I like, like, figuring out my opponent. I like uh, – three rounds is just way too quick, man. Even when I do just three rounds in the gym, I'm like that, that doesn't feel like a fight anymore. But like I said, this would be, I think probably my fifth main event. So, uh, I'm pretty used to it by now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Corey, like I said, whatever, you know, again, I keep saying whatever is next. And I know you said the UFC is going to give you some options. Um, I'll give you the option. It's Murab Dewalishvili. That's the fight. Uh, no offense to Henry Cejudo. Uh, no offense to anyone else in the division. This is the one to make. I mean, come on now. It is. It just is. Unless, unless, and again, I certainly in any way, shape, or form ever wish bad luck. Unless, unless Sterling and or O'Malley gets injured and you fight one of those two, it's got to be Murab. Like, that's the fight to make. And I think everyone knows that's the fight to make, right? Like, it, it just makes natural sense, and I hope it does happen. Um, and again, wedding in September. Talk about a one-two combo. Wedding in September, maybe you fight for a vacant title in November? I mean, yeah, just saying, that could, be a, that could be a hell of a 2023 for you. Yeah, it would be an unexpected 2023, but uh, yeah, that, that would be definitely really cool. It's kind of cool that the cards could be playing out where uh, – uh, I, I have a lot of things written down. Like I do a lot of writing or whatever. And one thing that I write down a lot is uh, that I want to, that I've been writing down for a couple of years now is I'll be the champ by the end of 2023. So uh, it's kind of interesting that it might be playing out that way. So we'll see, man. Uh, hopefully I, I, I can't imagine the UFC is going to take too long to give me those options. So you'll probably hear an announcement. My guess would be kind of soon. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, always appreciate your insight on everything, Corey, uh, especially sitting cage side for the fight. I appreciate you doing this today. Obviously, best of luck. I'm sure we'll talk once the fight gets booked. I'm sure we'll chat again after that, as we always do. Uh, but I appreciate you taking time today, breaking down everything with me, and uh, look forward to uh, to the announcement. Because like I said, I, I think you're right. Hopefully, we'll hear it sooner rather than later, and we'll know exactly what's next for you. Yep, cool. Sounds good, Damon. Good talking to you, man. Absolutely, Corey. We'll talk soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. Later. Bye-bye. It is always a pleasure to catch up with Corey Sanhagen, one of my favorite interviews in the sport. Of course, uh, very interested to see where he goes from here. I think him and Marab is the fight to make. I hope that is the one. I love Henry Cejudo. I'm glad Henry's back. Uh, I thought he looked great on Saturday night. I, I did score him losing. Obviously, you've heard that several times on the show. Uh, but that being said, I'm glad he's back. But again, you know, you already got jumped into a title fight. Yes, you were the former champion, but it has been three years. There's no, you know, it's not written in blood that you give up a title and you come back three years later and you just immediately jump into a title shot. That's not necessarily how it's always going to work. He did, and he, and he went out there and had a great performance. Nothing against, but again, to me, you got to work your way back in there now. You don't just get to jump the line and fight the other number one guy in the division right now, Mirab Dewalishvili. Fight Piotr Jan, fight Cheeto Vera. Uh, fight one of those guys, and then if you if you get a tie, if you beat them, then you know you can get Marab or, or Corey Sanhagen in that point. But uh, to me, I like I like I'm glad Henry's back. I'm glad he's going to continue fighting. He's not retiring again. He looks like he's ready to work his way back up again. Uh, to me, that starts with you know Cheeto Vera or maybe Piotr Jan. Marab and and Corey Sanhagen to me is the better fight to make. We'll see what the UFC decides to do, and uh, hopefully we'll know more in a matter of weeks. Uh, of course, as again, I want to say best wishes to my normal co-host Matt Brown. He fights on Saturday night at UFC Charlotte. Uh, should be a, actually a pretty solid card. They, they, they did lose one fight. We announced today on MMAfighting.com. Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill is now moving into the main event slot on May twentieth at the UFC Apex. So that card falls off of the UFC Charlotte card. But overall. UFC Charlotte, very solid card. Uh, two guys who have been frequent co-hosts on this show. Of course, Matt Brown is the regular co-host, and also Anthony Smith uh, fights Johnny Walker on Saturday night, and Anthony has come in and, and uh, co-hosted the show numerous times over the past couple years. So uh, best of wishes, of course, also to Anthony Smith. And I've talked to Johnny Walker, too. Uh, Johnny Walker, incredibly nice guy. That should be a banger of a fight. Jalton Almeida, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Uh, pretty solid card. You know, it's it's not, it's not you know, there have been some lackluster UFC cards recently, 
this is not one. This is pretty good. I like this card. It's not uh, super top heavy, but when you got Matt Brown and Court McGee on there, you got guys like uh, Jarzinho and Jalton Almeida and guys like Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker. You, you're pretty much guaranteed uh, for some fireworks somewhere along the way. So looking forward to all those fights on Saturday. And of course, all works out well. You know, you never know the fight, but obviously uh, everything goes well. Matt should be back on Monday to uh, talk to us about his fight with Court McGee and break down everything else that's been going on with him the last couple weeks as he got ready for the fight with Court McGee at UFC Charlotte. A big thank you once again to both Alan Joban and Corey Sandhagen for stepping in here today to talk about UFC 288. We will be back next week. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Ability and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.